Thanks for tuning in to this special episode of Daddy Issues with Champ and Kingsbury. Uh, this is Champ here. I just wanted to give a quick content warning in regards to this episode. September 26, 2019 marks Christopher Kingsbury's 10-year soberversary from Crystal Meth, uh, which is fantastic. Um, and we take a lot of time this episode to talk about that. Uh, we break down some of the things that, that led him into that lifestyle, um, some of the things that kept him in that lifestyle, and how hard it was to get out of that lifestyle. Uh, it's an important episode. I, I feel um, addiction has impacted both Christopher's and mine's family and or friend groups. Um, uh, we both have stories about addiction with people we know where things have ended less than happy. Uh, Christopher's is a great tale because it does have an, a it does have a happy ending. However, uh, there is some content in this episode that may be it, it may be triggering to some people. Uh, we do talk very openly about his drug use. We we have some very graphic extreme language uh, at some points, uh, and we do uh, recount a, a domestic abuse. So uh, we just wanted to give a little bit of a heads up. Um, we hope that you stick with this episode. Um, I feel like it's very eye-opening, but it's also uh, it's a good conversation to have with those. Um, and also, if if you know someone that uses drugs, or if you do use drugs, please go and pick up a naloxone kit or a Narcan kit. Naloxone, Narcan, it's the same thing. Go to your local pharmacy and ask for it. Uh, that shit saves lives. All right, uh, it saves lives, and uh, you should have a you should have a kit, whether you use drugs or not. So, uh, without further ado, we're going to jump into this episode. We're actually going to start it off with Chris's stand-up bit about being a meth addict, because uh, this episode is not a very funny episode, <laughs> uh, and so we want to make sure that, uh, that there's a little bit of levity off the top. Um, so thanks for joining us. Content uh, has been warned. Please pick up a Narcan kit. Hug your children. Uh, love those that uh, that sometimes seem to be unlovable because you never know what they're going through. Uh, and addiction is a bitch. Uh, so, yeah. Without further ado, here we go. Oh, also, this is not Minnesota 4. At the start of this episode, you're going to hear us say this is Minnesota 4. This is not Minnesota 4. It's just a special episode. <laughs> Why'd you move out here, Chris? I'm like, uh, I was dating somebody. Maybe you heard of her. Her name was Crystal Meth. <laughs> that bitch was sketchy, and I left immediately. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I stayed for seven years. <laughs> but uh, I've been out here now. Uh, the 26th of this month will be my 10-year marker of being clean off Crystal Meth. Oh. No, clean and sober as I drink a beer. That's right. Yeah, no, no. Um, and when I first moved out here, people were like, Crystal Meth, this is Ottawa. What the fuck is that like? And I'm all like, well, why don't you just go out to this falls? Fuck, you guys don't know what's going on. Or basically around the corner in this neighborhood. That's cool, too. All right. Um, it's synthetic. Ah, burn with some of you. Slow burn. Okay, good talk. Um, no, so it's synthetic adrenaline is what it is. Make you feel the highest highs and the lowest lows. 
and to break it down in kind of a superhero terms, it'll make you feel quick like the Flash, and like you have stamina like Superman, and you have the strength of the Hulk, right? But on the flip side of that coin, you also have the anger management skills of the fucking Hulk, and you're like, I want to smash shit, I don't want to Right? You got uh, sleepy habits of shitty, sparkly vampires, and like, ah, I never sleep! <laughs> And for me, I wasn't really, I wasn't really feeling happy, right? I was only really happy around Halloween, because when Halloween came around, I had two sleeps to go until Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you guys have done enough drugs for that to be funny. <laughs> Some of you are like, I didn't do enough drugs for that to be funny. In reverse order to Minnesota three, so we're like reverse trilogying things. Yes, yes, we we did record Minnesota three a few weeks ago, and it's supposed to come out next Sunday or well today. Today, it's supposed to come out today, but, but uh, today's a special uh, anniversary of me. Just and on that, yeah. Uh, cheers! And cheers! Such. Cheers! Um, today, the uh, coming out on the 29th of September. Um, yesterday marked my 10-year anniversary uh, clean from crystal meth and anniversary of living in Ottawa, for that matter. I guess I should have probably led with that. Wait, how, this, many, this, how many years? <laughs> 10 years, man. 10 years. So this is fucking like, we are, now we're drinking, of course. Yeah. Off the we're, hop, we're, we're back, drinking. We've been drinking. Right, that's uh, fine. And we're drinking to celebrate your sober day. Yeah. <laughs> Take that group with a 12-step program. <laughs> you know what? I'm an addictions therapist, and 12 steps had their place, but they're not for everybody. No, definitely not. Uh, 12 steps did not play uh, any part in my recovery. Uh, I My greatest success came, I think, from realizing back in August of 09 that uh, I was not doing anything great with my life by remaining in Edmonton and continually chasing the high that I thought was going to happen again. Um, was well, the dragon, right? Yeah, it's the dragon. Because you were on map too. Yeah, it was 100% map. You were, you were definitely chasing that dragon. Yeah, yeah. And I was uh, not wanting to pay for the dragon anymore. And I, I realized that the dragon that I had before was the best dragon I was ever going to have. And all dragons after that sucked. How to Train Your Dragon is really about meth addicts. Yes, not dragon fucking. I didn't get that at all from the That's movie. That's from the third one. I saw the third Oh, dragons fucking, not dragons like, fucking. not fucking dragons. <laughs> not fucking dragons. <laughs> <laughs> How to Train Your Dragon to Lick That Peanut Butter. Uh, like, no, that's weird. This Minnesota brought to you by DreamWorks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Spielberg approved. So, so yeah, because this is Chris's like ten year sober anniversary uh, from Crystal Math, we want to take time to really delve into his story because he's he's a fantastic dad. Ten years later, thank and you. He came overcame a whole ton of shit. Um, so that's why we're moving the order around. So Minnesota Four is coming up before Minnesota Three. We're gonna call it Minnesota Four on the release. I'm sorry. 
Uh, we've been all over the place. We're going to blame the hiatus and having a baby and all that shit. Yeah, MacBooks like to take vacations, apparently, and then they come <laughs> they back. and drink it's all good. beer. They drink beer. <laughs> so, um, so, you know what? We said that in Minnesota 3, we were drinking Whippersnapper, and because we haven't dropped that yet, episode four, Minnesota 4, I'm also drinking Whippersnapper. I'm drinking the Patio Smash Ale. It's delicious. It's uh, it's really a summer. It's a crisp beer. Uh, you know, it's got a little bit of a... A little bit of a punch to it, but it's very sweet in the aftertaste. It is great beer, but I've uh, leaned off the beer a little bit because uh, beer's making me fat, and uh, that's a that's a whole other daddy issue in self care episode that we're gonna have to talk about. But I am actually sipping on uh, Buffalo Trace Bourbon. I have discovered the subtle seventies and softness of just enjoying chilled, watered down bourbon in the form of an old fashioned. And Buffalo Trance is very, very nice and soft and it's a very good bourbon. It's funny because I would normally say, and I don't mean to offend you by this, but between the two of us, you're definitely the redneck out of the two of us. And here I am drinking beer out of a can and you're like, I'm drinking a Manhattan. I hope you're I'm going off to do therapy sessions with your clients. Have fun going and building a house, you chump. <laughs> no, no, yeah, uh, that's part of the uh, introduction back to booze. Um, I, when I introduced booze back into my life, it wasn't uh, as fast as I could have it. Maybe it was the fact that I turned thirty and I realized that, hey, this alcohol should have a, a relative flavor if it's going to also mess me up. And now that I've, uh, now I've just discovered certain. Uh, ways to partake in an alcohol that uh, doesn't involve it uh, tasting like shit. <laughs> now, now here's something that's kind of cool with you: is like you you were a functional addict for many years until it kind of like ate away at a whole shit ton more than like it, it kind of. And we're gonna go into this. We went into this a little bit in our pilot episode, which is gonna drop as a bonus episode a little bit later. Yeah. Um, how can you and I'm just curious because I know that some people who are in recovery, they're in recovery from everything. So where, where does that line come for you? Cause like you drink, we yep. will smoke a joint together from time to time. It's yep. legal in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so where's that line? That line for me is something that you feel. Um, when, when the drugs or alcohol take effect or you start to feel them for myself, it's like, I, did, I become more aware of the effects and its onset. I guess that's kind of you know why I'm sipping bourbon as to just drinking a bunch of beers that will catch up to me. Okay. Uh, the slower intake when I do consume with you, it's more of a pull, and then I draw it like a cigar, and then I'll take it into my mouth. All right, like like you know in the way that you taught Simon how to smoke a cigar. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, you were teaching him how to smoke a joint. Teaching you're teaching him how to smoke a joint. And the like, way it's a this lot like smoking, smoking a cigar. cigar. Yeah. And I'm like, just take it in and then let the smoke cool down and then bring it to your lungs. Because I also quit smoking uh, in 2012. Right. Yeah. Right. So. But cigarettes. Cigarettes. Yeah. Cigarettes. Um, that was a while back. You know, right after, your, right after your dad dies of cancer, you kind of look at yourself and go, what the hell am I doing smoking these death sticks? But it was an odd thing because I didn't smoke cigarettes. When I was on methamphetamine. Okay. I did not at all. I was just like, I thought they were gross. They smelled horrible. I had quit smoking uh, the first time I had, I had seriously stopped, like, 
all drugs for a bit. I took mm-hmm. like a, a big break. Like I said this would be in like uh, 2007, 2006. Okay. And I stopped. Uh, it was one of those things. I'm going to quit meth and I'm going to quit smoking. And then the quit smoking thing stayed. And I was like, I like meth. And it was <laughs> and it was at that point where I like – I. Control the poison you put in your body is what I kind of figured. Well, everything's moderation. Right? That's right, exactly. Except for moderation. Except for like, <laughs> well, I was gonna say like everything in moderation except for math. <laughs> no, that was my one of my biggest things was meth in moderation. Um, don't get carried away on on consuming a lot of it. Okay, co- cocaine is a little bit interesting. If you've never done any hard drugs, cocaine uh, is definitely definitely reset it right. It should be called more. And we're not we're not advocating you try cocaine. No, even though we had it, we did have an ad for cocaine a few episodes. A few ago. episodes, episode ago. two, I episode yeah. But uh, at the same time, we're not advocating for it. But if you've never tried anything hard, okay, cocaine just wants to make you do more. And phetamines, when you do them, make you want to do stuff. Make you want to get up and go around. Makes and talk. You, it makes you proactive, right? That's it's right. Like, do you ever see Requiem for a Dream? Yeah, and I've never really agreed with the teeth grinding old lady on that one. Well, that was the one I was thinking about. It's like when yeah. she like cleans the house. Like, yeah, well, yeah, we used to actually, and... uh, an ex of mine used to actually call them cleaning products. Yeah. And so we should pick up some more cleaning products. The house is pretty dirty. And she's like, totally. So we would call our dealer and be like, yeah, you got cleaning products? And they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And be like, and then when he would we're talking about over, speed. We're talking about speed. Yeah. When he'd come over and be like, we're talking about speed. And she was all like, we just don't want to say, you know, you got, like, you got a game or do you have whatever the slang was for it. We just kind of came up with our own slang mm-hmm. with it. And uh, so, yeah, that. Well, it's interesting because I know that your trigger is definitely amphetamines. And I know this because whenever you come to my house, we have a cat. We've talked about this cat on air a few times. The cat sheds like crazy, and you're wildly allergic to cats. Yeah. So you need to take an allergy pill, but you can't take half the allergy pills out there. So I went and bought Claritins. And I was like, <laughs> and you're like, do you want me to start sucking dick for crack again? <laughs> First of all, fuck you with the crack second, second of all, um, I never did anything sexually explicit on amphetamines. I never stole for anything. And one of the biggest things I tell people is with, uh, with people who are like, oh my God, I saw somebody do meth and they, they lost their mind. They did all this horrible stuff. And I'm all like, yeah, that was an accelerator for that person. I'm going to level with you. That horrible stuff nine times or eight times out of 10 was already in that fucking person to begin with. And that accelerant brought that shit to the surface. Oh, hundred percent. When we talk about like addiction issues, we talk about concurrent disorders because yeah. a lot of times mental health is really, really push the brink when substances are, are brought in. I know, I know for me, like yeah. I've got a generalized anxiety disorder. And if I, if I go overboard a little bit too much, I feel it. And like, it really takes an impact on my mental health. And so it's very easy to say that substances influence mental health. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It just, uh, I, I consider it the catalyst to bring out some of the worst behaviors in people or as an excuse to bring out those worst behaviors in people. Because, uh, like if you've listened to episode four and this is Minnesota four, but released in three order four says uh, I need a criminal pardon. <laughs> Now, there's a reason I need a criminal pardon, because while on amphetamines with an ex, we fought over something that I had done that was horrible, I cheated on her, and she freaked out, and it caused me to freak out back at her, and then there was an assault charge. And when the cops got there, they asked who this person was, and they separated us both, and... 
you know, when you have claw marks on your back and she has a bloody nose, they need to know who's who, who did what. what. Yeah. How did how did this happen? And you know, it's out like drugs is no excuse for <laughs> no, what happened. Let me say, meth is a hell of a drug. But when it came down to all of the rest, all of that is that when someone's freaking out and trashing all my worldly belongings, I was going to hit that person when I was fucking drugged up or alcohol or not. You don't trash my shit. But now I was, a little I was about to say, like, I, like you have a different temperament now. You're a very different person than you were when you were on amphetamines. You have a very different relationship with the people in your life. This is like that. That one incident does not reflect the person that you are today. No, no definitely not. And uh, when that incident occurred, I threw myself at the at the mercy of uh, better learning and uh, proving myself to the court of law. Can, that I, was can not I that like this might be too personal, but did you plead guilty? Yes. Okay. So like you took responsibility for it. How did how did that responsibility play out with the relationship? It was, yeah, it, it was like a, it, it played out well because the relationship kept going because I'm not sure if anyone's aware of a criminal code of Canada, but when there's a domestic abuse situation that occurs and the cops are involved, the parties are separated and then a charge is laid and then the, there is a restraining order put against both parties. But nobody ever follows that. No, and I thought... Honestly, walking home from that initial charge, it was like, man, I'm an asshole. I fucked up on several levels, but I can go home and clean up my shit and put my life back in order and really reflect on what the fuck just happened and why the fuck that just happened, to which I opened the front door, which I thought was locked, and someone was cleaning up everything in the hallway with a big sorry and a fucking puddle of crystal meth ready to go. So I never got that reset time. You know what I mean? It was... It was Like you walked home head. right back into a drug den. Yeah, well, I, you, knew my, I knew my drugs were anyway because, well, the cops got called and she was in the bathroom. I took all the dope and I fucking hit it. Yeah. And I took all the pipes and I hit everything that would be incriminating. And then I went and I locked the basement door to my roommate's shit. Mm-hmm. And then I went and sat on the front step. And you just waited for them. And I just waited for them. Yeah. Well, that, uh, and then you took the responsibility. You went home. You were planning on changing, kind of cleaning up some of your lifestyle. You walk right back into a to a to meth the, den. The, yeah, to the ex and her like best friend, and being like who, whose best friend who has also had uh, violence issues in her own relationships, and just them cleaning everything up. And I just, just I felt at that time kind of robbed by it but uh anyway it played out for what it needed to play out but um when because this was this assault charge was a long time ago june 8th 2008 2008 okay your change Seven, two, two, sorry, 2007. 2007, okay. Yeah. 2007. So it was a year and a half later that you fucking decided that you needed to quit. So what happened between that year and a half? Because for a lot of people, getting involved in the criminal justice system is their rock bottom, right? Right. Kind of, and you know, like you've gotten, like, what, what was your charge? Like, it wasn't assault charge, but like, what was the sentence handed down to you? Oh, uh, when sentencing came uh, six months later in December, um, it was a... S- six-month probationary period uh, because going into it, the uh, the judge and 
my significant other at the time had actually uh, explained the whole story to victim services, where in fact victim services is not inclined to believe the victim whatsoever. It was only after the third breach of recognizance that this whole story was told in a factual manner to the Crown, and that actually had the no restraint order lifted and then when it appeared into court itself uh the the crown said well the heart wants what the heart wants and it is clear to me and to the crown that you have shown that this was a mistake because i had even previously to pleading guilty i had registered for several courses one was uh, anger management okay uh learning how to uh express your feelings a lot of i statements a lot of i feel statements i feel statements i feel statements rather than the you, you the i feel yeah, statement you, it you takes did full this control. I, it takes full control it takes full control and it takes it away from being an accusation right? that's right i feel that this happened and it made well, I feel sad, right? Because yeah. it's an emotion. I feel happy. I feel upset. I feel frustrated. So they understand why, how you feel. Not, yeah, bring it not on. I feel that this has happened because that's not a feeling. I feel that this has happened and it has made me feel this yes, way. It's yes. Like the, I feel this way because I observe that this has happened. And it takes away the onus from the the accused. And brings it towards you. Brings it back to you yeah. so that way they can understand what's going on. Yeah, the other course that I enrolled immediately upon was something called Changing Ways. Mm. Changing Ways uh, is a proactive, ongoing course for anybody who involves themselves into it. Uh, and it's for abusers and domestic abusers specifically. Um, and focus on their uh, energy to change ways. Okay, Did, Were there any lessons that came out of that that stuck with you? Yeah, the lessons that came out of me that stuck with that is that, again, I'm responsible for me, <laughs> first of all. And uh, the next one that came out is that uh, it's all learned behaviors, guys. It's learned behaviors out there. You don't – all your reactions, all these emotions, all this negative and abuse towards men and the fucking – the whole – the patriarchy is a thing. It's a learned behavior. You don't have to learn it anymore. You don't have to buy into that. What you're being sold. I don't think it's being sold as much as it used to be. No, not anymore. For sure, it's come come down huge. But it that mentality still is out there. Mm-hmm. It's just because we've fought an open war on it. I mean, it doesn't mean the battle's won. That's fair. <laughs> like, it, it's... One thing they instilled upon that course is that it's, it's, a, it's a constant uh, learning. And it's constant changing. And it's constant mentoring. Mm-hmm. You know, to the other people, which is a certain section uh, that I fell behind with with that course because I couldn't feel I could ever connect with any of these gentlemen in this course or any of this type of mentality. I guess maybe that's really elitist of me, but like I couldn't, un- I wasn't cut from their cloth. I felt so I didn't feel. You felt that the power dynamic was off. Bingo. That yeah. either, like, they had more clout than you or vice versa? No, not necessarily uh, Not necessarily a clout. I'm not sure we'd give you a clout, but it would just be like, how can I... Ca- we, we've all been in this abusive domestic situation, but I kind of, I guess, for my own self-detriment, took it upon myself that, like, my situation was different than anybody else's. Okay. You and, thought that you were unique and special? And there was a certain way, yeah, because I was still with the significant other at the time in okay. this group. None of these gentlemen were with their significant other. 
Like so, and where it might have been more of a historical thing for them, this was this, kind of, this was, was live one, a, yeah, this was live this action. This is the one me. and like, only time it's ever happened in your life. Yeah, exactly. There was there was reoccurring themes for these guys in their relationships, like their second or second, some of them had like two assault charges and one from previous relationships, mm-hmm. and then others had had like crappy relationships for sure through yeah. their whole period. And one of the biggest things that came out of those courses, my reflection to be like. Know the Jedi code. One of some saying a lot. Know thyself. Yeah. Right. And face the mirror. Look back. So kind of like speaking about these courses. I used to. I used to work for the Salvation Army as a program coordinator in their corrections department. Yeah. And there was a handful of months where I ran John School. Do you know what John School is? Yeah, it's for when they pick up uh, when when the cops busted. For not them. not the sex workers, the Johns. The Johns, yes, John. Yeah, the Johns. So the yeah. Johns are coming, and these are guys that like it's their first offense picking up a sex worker, yeah. and they have to pay five hundred dollars to come. They have to give their um, their li- driver's license when they get there, so they don't take off before the end. And then it's like this educational four-hour session. Look and at how you're exploiting these girls. Yeah. All the time true. I worked there and, and ran this school, and by running it, I really just sat there and signed people and signed people out because really the cops were the ones that did all the speaking. I just kind of okay. was, this was a Salvation Army program, and I was a Salvation Army program coordinator, so I was there. You were there, yeah. Um, the only time, like, the, the big things that kept coming out was, we need to fucking decriminalize this because oh, like 100%. they would bring in sex workers and they would be talking about how their safety was at risk and like, you know, car tricks are pulling up and then beating the shit out of them or robbing them. And I'm like, this wouldn't happen if you could fucking have protection and pay for the like and I get that there's 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 a bunch of different levels of sex work, and this is why I want to bring it back and this is why I brought it up, is because when you were in Edmonton, I hope you I hope you're okay with me sharing this. You were dating a sex worker, yeah, hundred percent, right? Yeah, and was, that was a big part of your addiction and and the yeah. story because you guys were using together. And we see there's different levels of like of sex work where there's the street level sex worker yeah. versus more like the escort versus, versus the internet stu- models. Not only, or yeah, not only that, sugar baby, sugar daddies. There's, yeah, that's what um, GFE is a different yeah, yeah part. Like yeah, there's there's many levels of sex work and none of it should be ashamed because it's all of our body's natural urges and um yes i was uh fully in love with a sex worker at the time at the time this was like around like this was the partner right this was the partner that i have the assault charge for and everything Mm -hmm. um and the 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 yeah there's it's a job guys and like australia in 1998 realized that they were facing like three super huge crises to their infrastructure and one was uh, illegal human trafficking. Two was the spread of disease, and then three, the probably the biggest one. I don't know. I mentioned it last and said three to it, but was the abuse of women and sex workers. Mm-hmm. And so what they decided to do was legalize sex work across the thing. And then they, uh, the province of Victoria, actually has a, a site called uh, RED. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's their red light. District. It's their red light district page, and it basically gives. Uh, contact info and a set of guidelines towards sex work that 
covers everything from what street workers need to be aware of to what minimum charging for services include. Not maximum, because you can never set a maximum on what somebody's going to charge a service, just like in contracting work, yeah. right? But here's the bare minimum for these services and this time in that you need to charge. Well, yeah, and, and there's, like, safety precautions in the rooms and the buildings, right? 100%. Yeah, because yeah. they yeah. usually work out of brothels or bordellas. Yeah, or, or, or massage studios. Massage studios, parlors, yeah. yeah. And don't kid yourself, massage studios have uh, cameras in every hallway they don't have them in the rooms but they have them in every hallway foyer laundry you go in there you are definitely definitely on camera camera, and it's not for exploitation because exploitation isn't sex work that's someone being terrible uh we're just saying that they're there for their safety and your safety too even like what if somebody came in and tried to rob you or something yeah yeah or yeah 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 whatever who knows right They're, they're there for the who knows and yeah so sex work is uh definitely 100 percent should be decriminalized yeah. and that's a, that's a human being so i i was raised I, we've talked about this a little bit i was raised very religiously and i went to bible college for a while during about 2005 to 2008 i used to write movie reviews for a christian teenage website called oh, wow. send the fire i don't think they exist anymore um, but they sent me a screener for this movie from Australia that was done by a Christian organization that was all about how the how the legalization of sex work in Australia had led to bigger the bigger sex like trafficking and importing into the country. And I remember watching it and being like, "This is a lot of propaganda." And like, even though I was like super like Christiany at that time, and like I was like really like kind of buying like- those messages, but then it was like. I kind of like wrote this like really kind of like lukewarm review where I was like, I was like, you know what? This is like, this is like shill of a, of a movie It's definitely all preaching stuff like that. And then they refused to publish it because the movie had sent them the, like the studios like, Oh, we'd love you to review it. They were the ones that reached out and they're like, we don't want to lose like any faith with the studio. So we're not going to publish your review. And then champ had canceled country. Then the editor, the editor went and wrote this like five star review that pretty much gave it a blow job. And I was like, fuck you guys. (laughs) Which he paid for incidentally. So Uh, stop worrying about sex work. Okay. That's weird. Back, back to the, back to you though. This is like a little tangent. Um, when you were dating that, dating the sex worker, I know this was a very big relationship to you. That was also a huge fueling part of your drug life, though, right? Because there was drugs involved in that line of work. Yeah, not a nit. No, yeah, she had never uh, initially even done drugs, and we met. She was a sex worker who was not on drugs. Oh wow! Yeah, hundred percent. She had not, and then she watched me for like two and a half months, and she saw how th- almost. Three to four months, she she watched me and, and my routine and how I was on amphetamines and how I acted and how I did before she even made the conscious decision to be like, okay, I want to try that. Mm-hmm. And when she said, do you want to try that? I'm like, are you are you sure? Like, yeah, I, I'm not going to say no because it's yeah. your choice, but like, are you, I don't think you should. She's like, well, I at least want to try it once to know what was going on. Mm-hmm. And she tried it once and then there was like a... Uh, about a week period where she was like, I'm not trying anymore. And then she was like, no, that was good. Yeah. Okay. I'll try that again. And then it was like, we were in, in for a penny in for a pound. Okay. Yeah. Did she get clean? I don't think so. No, no, I, I would like to think so, but is that tough to talk about? Yeah. Cause I don't know a hundred percent. I don't know a hundred percent, but I, the force tells me probably not. Okay. The force tells me no. But um, you think she's still in Edmonton? Oh, I know she's still in Edmonton. Yeah, okay. we have a periodic uh, uh, 
periodic contact with each other when certain dates will show up on our timelines. Is it friendly? Yeah, it's totally amicable and it's okay. totally friendly. It's not uh, all those harsh feelings of uh, what how the relationship unfolded after that was uh, water under the bridge a long time ago. Like, you know what I mean? That, that water from the North Saskatchewan reached the freaking bay a long time ago. And okay. Froze, you know what I mean? So, so what you chose to leave about – well, not chose to leave. Like, you did chose to leave, but like – Things started changing a year after this assault charge came into play. A year and a bit. Yeah, a year what, and a bit. What was the catalyst there? The catalyst for me was that uh, because I, I had I had no other primary source of income than being her uh, driver, main support person, uh, person who counselor when they come out of calls. Not necessarily offers, offering pro or any sort of advice, but like hearing what the call was. Just having them say it out loud gets it off their chest. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So they don't have to internalize it. And that helps in a way to preserve their humanity. Okay. Because that would be what it was. So I was her primary driver for the entire time she got into escort to when I left her. And so with my job, when my input about how this job should be run and who we were working for was kind of put on the back burner because she was agency yes she was agency and the person running the agency was being a horrible human being and i won't even get into those details because it just infuriated me and i being a little bit older than shannon was like well we can do these things proactively to like not get ripped off from this lady and not get ripped off. And we should have these things for drivers and we should have these things. And, um, but a lot of that comes with the decriminalization of sex. hundred percent. Right? Like, there should be a set of rules let out, you know what I mean? Like guidelines and things like that. So like, keep everybody sick. That's it. That's a human fucking being. Yeah. End of the line. God like, given right just to be alive. That's it. 100%. And it was shortly after one of her close friends in escorting was murdered on the 30th of June of 2008. Oh, shit. Uh, that, that it kind of, it didn't infect it. It affected us immediately because we we're like, oh my God, how could this happen on a call? And there were so many things that went wrong on that call. And there were so many things that the driver did wrong because she wasn't even working for our agency at that time. She was working for another agency because the agency we were working for had ripped her off. And she was like, fuck you. I'm going to work for somebody else. And when she went to work for somebody else, she was killed a block and a half away from the old agency. Oh, shit. It's like it's it's. The West Coast of Canada, and, like, I love, I used to live in Vancouver, but, like, when we hear a lot about, like, missing and murdered women, indigenous or just sex workers, in general, we yeah. hear it coming from Alberta, we hear it coming from BC, we hear it coming yeah. from, like, all of those areas that are, you know, super, um, like, I hate to say this, but, like, you've got the Bible Belt of Canada, yeah. right? And you've got... You got these super repressed individuals that are doing gross, inhumane things to human beings, and they're justifying it by by giving them money. Yeah, and we're not talking about sex; we're talking about things that go beyond that. Yeah, or um, 
basically they don't see that person as a human being. And again, and it goes back to the course that I took. That's a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior. Well, That's also there's, behavior. there's that idea of like, I've paid money for this. So you are there's what I want you to be. Right? Yeah, oh yeah. There's a hundred percent of those like calls and stuff like that. You can always tell what kind of a human being a person is or he, well, you can always tell what kind of a man, a, a man is, but how he treats a sex worker. 100%. If you treat that person like, my God, this is an important service. Do you treat that like a, a contractor? This person can do something that you have never been able to conceivably do in your mind. That's how you should be fucking treating that person. Not just sitting around on your thumbs like, oh my God, I'm paying for the service. This is the service I want. Why don't I get that? Because maybe sometimes that person doesn't provide that fucking service. And it doesn't mean every person is going to provide that service. I'm a contractor. I don't fucking do plumbing, but I don't think plumbing is some fucking immoral thing that I want to kill every fucking plumber out there. Uh, here's the thing, though, is counterpoint, we're comedians and we hate improv. Fuck improv. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. <laughs> no, uh, I, mean, I know I know that this episode has been a barrel of laughs so far. Yeah, I'm sure it's um, super awesome. I need to pause this for 30 seconds because I need to go to the urination station. 30 second pause. All right. We'll be right back. Rock, no talk, no information for you. Slurs banter. We're your station. We're back. I feel so much better. He feels at least a pound lighter of water for sure. We've been recording for a long time today. You know, I know that this sounds like just like a minister, but we've done our intro and our outro for, for our last episode. Four, yeah. We've done a few ads, so you know it's it's uh, it's it's good. We're we're settling down to a nice pace and. We're talking some talk. Uh, often these conversations that I'm, especially the conversation we're having right now, uh, is a conversation that I don't ever sh- normally share. Well, yeah, it's it's a conversation that's steeped in shame. I'm not ashamed of it. I just don't feel a lot of people can know what the Matrix is. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like, I don't, I could give them the pill and they could take the pill, but... Will they accept the pill? And often, I don't think a lot of people are ready for the pill. And maybe that has to change. I think maybe people... What is the pill? The truth about what sex work is and the truth about what my past was. So, like, the kind of the truth about you, your truth. Yeah. Because, like, your truth has included sex work, it's included substance abuse, it's included uh, trips through the criminal justice system, it's included a full path to recovery, and now a family, a uh, fucking business that you own and run... Um, poor comedy uh, career. <laughs> it's still being run. <laughs> yeah. comedy, uh, you know, a successful podcast that tens of people listen to. Tens. Man, it's like an audience in a basement that I appreciate that they all listen to. Thank you, Indiana. And California, Sweden, Finland, Chile. No, no, there's no Finland. Chile? Sweden. Oh, Sweden. I always just try to go. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're doing. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like, I've got, like, friends in the UK. I've got a bunch of friends in Australia. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Way to not be here, assholes. No, don't worry. Don't worry. They'll be, like, at one point, they'll be like, hey, I knew that guy. I knew that guy one once, and it'll likely be because I've been arrested for some bullshit. <laughs> Which we will make sure Champ never has a criminal record. So... Getting back to kind of how that all fell apart. That all yeah, fell apart I want to know like, how, I want to know where the change came from. Actually, before we get to the change, we've talked a lot about the middle part. Right. How did you start using crystal meth? 
Oh, uh, I first used crystal meth and when I was around 23. 23? 23, yeah. Did you use other drugs before then? Yeah, I was a... Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I had used uh, lots of drugs before that. Uh, heavy marijuana user. Um, uh, hash, obviously. Uh, mushrooms, whenever you can get them in season. Uh, I had done several trips on LSD. So you're a psychedelic guy? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, leaned heavy into it. Okay. Yeah. And I think maybe some of the appeal that came with crystal meth was that it was, like, the exact opposite of, like, easygoing, do-nothing pot. It was almost... Maybe I hindsight, it should have just been like, do less pot and more things instead of being like, this is completely opposite of weed and I love it. And just yeah. give her, right? There's, It's hard to do moderation with with the opposites. Yeah, for like, sure. Like, you're from like, my oh, own my experiences, God, yeah. it's, like, it's like one time is always one time too many because like you just overdo it somehow and go a hundred miles an hour. Your mind and then, will make the excuse to keep using it. And then you crash what. hard and oh, that's man. where that's where it is. It's the crash. It's the, the crash is where you're like, I need to use again. Yeah, for sure because I feel so horrible. Either I don't want to feel this again or that the only way I'm ever going to feel how awesome I felt that way again and I need to feel it fast is with that drug. Goes back to that idea of chasing the dragon. How we started talking, right? Yeah. Hatch uh, that egg. So that puddle. you're 23 years old. Yep. Crystal meth. Crystal meth. Uh, we, I was working at a bar at the time. Uh, and with uh, my assistant kitchen manager, uh, we were all drinking heavily, uh, smoking some weed. And he's like, let's go back to my place. And we were drinking and smoking some more weed there and starting to play Crash Team Racing. <laughs> yeah, so it was super awesome. Lame. Right? Lame. <laughs> and, uh, and then, like... I was on the nod. I'm like, this is on the nod. How are you guys still awake? He's like, well, we've got something you can try. And I'm like, what is it? And they're like, crystal meth. I'm like, I have never heard of that drug, which is pretty crazy because I've heard a lot of drugs at that point yeah. in time. No, were they were they railing it or were they smoking it? Smoking it. Okay. Yeah. We were smoking and they were smoking off of a busted ass light bulb off of a... Oh, yeah, I know. It was super savage. Uh, it wasn't until a couple months later that they actually discovered like, oh, well, those weed oil pipes are actually crystal meth pipes, right? <laughs> because because <laughs> like, when they when amphetamines are smoked, it starts in a solid state, but when you get it to a certain uh, temperature, it starts to evaporate and become a, a smoke, and that's how you yeah. smoke crystal meth, right? Uh, so most of us have seen Breaking Bad. Right, I never watched that. Fuck that show. I imagine that that would be quite <laughs> traumatic for you. I watched the, when I was still using. I watched the first three episodes. I'm like, oh, this is some pretty cool drama, and then I left Alberta and was like. Not nah, gonna do that. Nope. Anymore. No. <laughs> I'm like, good. No. And people are like, why haven't you watched it? And I'm like, ah, I smoked crystal meth and was a functional addict for like, uh, you know, seven, eight years. Uh, I don't need that shit in my life. I even had one friend who'd be like, he was playing devil's advocate a couple of years back, and the memory came up on my timeline because my official status was, uh, people ask me if I've seen Breaking Bad, and I'm like, fuck that. I won't watch the show. I lived it. And and then in the and thanks for asking though uh, maybe I'll get to it one day and then John was playing devil's advocate just being like oh I shouldn't write off a show and personal tragedy blah blah he was just trying to like 
but, get me into expanding. And then he was like, I'm like, would you ask a war veteran to go, you know, sit through Saving Private Ryan? And he's like, are you comparing yourself to a war veteran? And I'm like, I fought a different battle. You fought a battle. For sure. A lot of like, war veterans also ended up fighting your battle when yeah, they well, came anyway, back. Point being, it was just like, I know he was being a dick and I got a bunch of inbox messages like, why don't you just pump this guy as a friend? I'm like, no, because I know what he was trying to do and he was trying to say that that piece of art is a good written piece of art and enjoy it. He's also a film anthropologist, so, and now he teaches for school, well, but anyway. And one of the things, like, I look at it and go, it was brilliant television. The movie comes out in October oh. on Netflix. Yeah, right. they've, they've shot a movie. If you didn't know that, a Breaking Bad sequel movie comes out in October on Netflix. Netflix, you owe us money now. That's right. Um, Twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck against Disney. <laughs> yeah, this thing is, Disney Plus comes out in November. Bye bye Netflix. <laughs> no, I think Netflix will stay around because they got a lot of. Well, I mean, for me. Yeah, well, yeah. I've got Amazon okay. Prime is better than Netflix. Oh, really? Crave is better than Netflix. Oh. Fucking television cable is better than Netflix these days. So, so I, back to like the yes. first usage of anything like that. I had an uncle basically. I told that story to one of my uncles, and what they wanted to hear was, "Oh, so pot was the gateway drug." And I don't necessarily. Oh, fuck that bullshit! No, because I was always fuck like, that shit. I was drunk and high already. I think I, I said to them that the gateway for me was the fact I wanted to do more drugs. <laughs> my gateway was open, and I was just letting that thing on my highway. And my auntie was like. Uh, how do you become addicted to something like that? I'm like, I don't know. How does one become addicted to shoes? And I just kind of put it back on her, right? Like, you can be an addict for anything. Well, we're all addicted to shit, right? That's right. We're all addicted to sugar. 100%. We're all addicted to fucking screens. Yep. Like, we've got addictions in our lives. So how do we become addicted to it? We used it. (laughs) Right. The dopamine we in got our brain. We got the dopamine. Fucking, yay. The serotonin and the Keep dopamine going. are fucking. And... Hey, yeah. Uh, you try fucking with that shit with a little bit of amphetamine, serotonin, dopamine. Oh, like, my God. Weed as a gateway drug is bullshit because, you know, when we get together, we usually smoke a joint before we do anything together. Yep. How many times have I then busted out a crack pipe? Zero. Zero, Zero times. times. Zero times? Zero How times? many times have I wanted to go fucking downtown and fucking find amphetamines as fast as we can? Zero. None. You, None. You've actually... And here's the thing is... the I know we already talked about the, the allergy medication. Yeah. But, like, your willpower is intense because like the thing is like the fact that you know your limits now and you can you're able to say like if i take a claritin i because we, i'm not gonna be sleeping exactly when we recorded that episode with rodney ramsey yeah uh we it, it's fair he says it in the podcast at the end of the podcast he goes i'm too high to be able to have this conversation we passed a joint around yep. during our conversation because you came over the only allergy pills i had were stimulants mm-hmm. and you're like i need something to wear this edge off and so i was like all right i'll roll a few joints we'll go down to the basement we'll just kind of like we'll record and we'll be able to keep your edge off it worked it worked <laughs> it, it worked. worked i was quiet for a bit because i was so high but i was also well like, so was rodney right, so was rodney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. matthew but, was the only sober one here and he can't have a conversation with himself sober in air quotes <laughs> it's sober I, enough for matthew but i i understand um, i understand yeah i know um Know your limit, play within it. it. Isn't just a fucking Ontario gaming board. No, I, I, I would say I say that to clients all the time. When it comes down to the things when we're talking about moderation, I'm like, you have to know your limit. And you have to drink within it, or you have to smoke within it, right? Yeah. If you're if you're drinking outside of your limit, and like we we drink beer on the podcast. Yeah. I, I drink beer every once in a while in the evening. I still fucking talk to my therapist about it. 
Yeah. Like, I'm just like, I'm like, I just need to check in. And she's like, well, how many beers have you had this week? I'm like, I don't know, like maybe like 10 throughout seven days. And she's like, okay, do you feel like that's a lot? I'm like, well, I'm not getting, dr-. and like, we have this conversation back and forth where I'm like, I know that it's not abuse, but at the same time, I always have to check in because yeah. the, the people that are going to notice it first are not you. The, like, it's not going to be the user. No, definitely. It never is. Because for is. the user, it, it feels normal. Yeah. For the user, this is just their normal life. So and it's the, and the more you consume, the more normal moves around. Did anybody like draw red flags to your attention and go, "Hey, Chris, man, you got to fucking do something"? Yeah, a couple points early in like, I think any person who's tried to like quit amphetamines on on any sort of or any stimulant or any addiction on certain problems, you're going to have relapses. You're going to have like, oh, I went for a while and then all of a sudden it falls. And it was probably around the second fall that my brother was like, you know. Which brother can I ask? Carl. Carl, okay. Middle brother. Carl and I are friends on Facebook. Shout out to Carl Kingsbury. I've never met you. I did buy weed from your other brother. (laughs) (laughs) Carl Carl was uh, two years younger than me. And when I was like 25, I had one of those fall downs. He was 23 and a dad and, and just like. Oh, it's foam. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> what did we learn this week? Uh, make sure you have your fucking safety glasses on. You have foam. I, I just pointed at his forehead because he had like a thing sticking out of his forehead and it looked like it was skin colored. I was like, when the fuck did you grow a skin tag? It's just foam. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take this away uh, from your Carl moment. No, Come back right. to it. Carl, kinda, I had a, a real fall down moment after. Before Shannon. Before. Beep. Before. But in between, I'm not editing the Minnesotes. I'm oh, sorry. Like well, you before, say it, it's before, in it. Yeah, it's cool. Um, after Heather, but before Shannon, I had a real down spiral of like, wish I was a better person and ended this relationship before people got super seriously hurt. Mm-hmm. And I, instead of, you know, crying or like talking about it i was just like i'll punish myself with amphetamines and drugs and flip my car on this fucking fort mcmurray north on highway 63 wait 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 wait, wait, wait. hold up when did this happen uh that would be when katrina was hitting the coast of new orleans so at that time i was at a christian camp that was praying very heavily for sins to be punished Wow. I know. What awful people. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure all my sins got fucking punished on I, the Highway 63, motherfuckers. Well, it um, wasn't about your sins. Uh, like, the church was No, but overall, it, when you but, put that energy out into the universe, that well, shit's going to happen. Obviously. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I've learned all. Maybe, maybe like, in the way that we've done your po- like this podcast about you and your drugs, we need to do a podcast about me getting out of religiosity. Yeah. Because well, that's like yeah. escaping a fucking cult. Um, you legitimately did. So, yeah, I flipped my... I, I uh, had been up all weekend and um, not... This is the weekend after she left, which another weekend I had been up like all Shannon? weekend. No. Uh, Heather, Heather. Before Heather, Shannon. Before Shannon, yeah. So uh, this is before the, the the worker that you started working... Like, sorry, the sex worker that you started dating. And, and then and, seeing and then working with. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, the, the Heather relationship crashed hard and that was just because I had... We had done drugs together. I was going to say, did Heather use? Yep, we okay. did. We used together. And this is not like, this is not the Heather Hurst that we think at the end of our podcast. No. This is a different Heather. We both have a lot of Heathers in our lives. 
Yeah. Shout out to all our Heather wives. Yay, yay. Anyway, so... My, some of my personality dysfunction when I was on amphetamines was like, um, is, is this matriarchal narcissism a thing? <laughs> when you're such matriarchal? a matriarchal, like, like, like mother, like you're such a dickhead, Freudian shit, yeah, like Freudian shit, like all the the nasty bullshit technical tricks there, bullshit that you pull on your significant other comes back to how you treated your mom and all the revenge you took on your mom. I call my mother once a week. I try to call my mom once a month and I text her once a week. I just like, it's just, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that's. Freud said it right. If it's not one thing, it's your mother. <laughs> oh no, wait, that was Robin Williams. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't Freud. <laughs> it wasn't Freud. That's Freud, one thing is Freud was definitely into mothers. Like, yeah, no, no, if no, milk like, porn existed when Freud was around, like. Yeah. He yeah, would, he have, would been, have been like producing that shit. He'd anyway, been so DTF. Yeah. <laughs> the point being is that after the, the whole thing had broken down with Shannon, and I for Heather. Yes, with Heather. But there's a pattern that I noticed that with all of my adult relationships that had I was only aware of the pattern and how who I was at the end of the Shannon relationship. Okay. The oh, pa- that was the reflection. That was the reflection. Because there was an, a, a crest, a drop, a crest, a drop, a crest. And then, and then the plummet. And then the plummet. What what pushed you out of that relationship with Shannon? Uh, my own actions, first of all. Uh, like you didn't hit her again? No, but I, I cheated on her. Okay. Now, here's a, a lot of people can be like, blah, 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 she's a sex worker, you're not really cheating. Fuck that. I cheated on the woman okay. I love. That's, and that's that's kind of like the argument that time. I wanted to bring up because I was like, I mean, some people are going to be like, she was a sex worker. She was sleeping she, with other men. However, there's the communication, right? Yep. You were aware of what was going on. You you were a privilege. Like you were a party. Yeah, I was, was privy, I was, I was, I was, fine. you were making financial gains out of this so because I'm, you were her driver. That's right. You were her bouncer. You were not her pimp. Nope. Cause that was not something attached to the stigma, but you were, you were making financial gains out of this and it was someone that you cared about, but it was, it was different because like when Shannon went into the call, they would never get Shannon. They would always get, oh, don't that, burn her name. It's up to her. Not bad. I might, I might edit out that. I might throw in a bleep. Fair enough. Just because three, two, they would get her. They would get the worker. They would, they would not get, get. They would not get Shannon. They would get the worker. Obesity. Yeah. Not obesity, but A B C D E. Obesity. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> they got what they thought they called for. Anyway, so that yeah, basically, I hurt. Shannon, because that's what I had done in previous relationships. When I felt wronged about something, you would you would reach back and you would hurt that person. So this and this was, last cheating yeah. that led to you ending this relationship or this relationship ending, um, were you doing that as an attack? Yeah. Okay. One hundred percent. It was a uh, kind of a fuck you because you guys got into a fight. I felt I wasn't being listened to about the job and doing things that we should be doing to be getting all of our monies and all of our livelihoods. So I felt as if, if this were a partnership I'd being shat on and my opinion didn't matter. It was very, very shitty of me. So the way that you handled this was to kind of 
go around to every studio and talk to all the girls and tell them how shitty uh, Madam X was. Okay. And then at the last studio, I found someone who looked almost exactly like her and then went through with half service. Okay. Did you, like, how did this information, did you tell Shannon this? Yeah. Well, like, uh, you were the one that, like, broke it to her and were like, hey, I did this? Yeah, it was after a, like, <laughs> she, the night that all this happened, that I went and did all these things, she was in a meeting with Madame X. Because it sounds like almost you were, like, helping her out by shit-talking Madame X. You were kind of, like, trying to, like, be in her corner. Yeah. And then at the end of the night, just like, I'm in her corner, I'm in her corner, now I'm in your pussy. Yeah, but not actually in your pussy. I didn't go for full service. Yeah. No, it was half service. Fair enough. You're like, I'm in your mouth. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, no, half, whatever half service I'm is. in your mouth like, so you can tell everybody out of your mouth. You know what I mean? So did she go back and tell people? Uh, yeah. After it all came out of the wash. That like, I was a, like I had cheated on her and stuff. There was actually a Facebook post that I deleted because she hacked my account and laid, laid like, well, you know when... Was she, Shannon hacked your account? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I love seeing those. This yeah. morning, oh, oh my God, this morning on Baseline Road. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. morning on Baseline... Did you see this in the news? No, I didn't. Okay. I live just off of Baseline Road. Stalkers don't come and find me. <laughs> I know we talked about gun control. I may or may not own a gun. I don't own a gun. I brought uh, one here. Fuck that. No. Um, <laughs> on Baseline Road this morning, there was a spray-painted sign that said, Goodbye, you cheating C-word. And then all this person's shit was on the lawn. Oh. And they'd like done it in big capitals. It was beautiful. And it was like all their shit was on the lawn. Total C-word. Uh, drop it. It made me laugh. Well, well, for sure, and you know, like that at least is. I mean, it's that's the public humiliation you can get over once. You know it's I mean? a shaming. It's, it's a, a shaming. shaming. It's a shaming. But instead of you know that you cheating kind, maybe. maybe hey, I don't want to say that word. That's why I said you have, C to word. Out, you have to bleep out working name anyway. Sorry, C. Oh word. no, sorry. That's what it was. It just said cheating C. Oh right, yes. Sir. I just showed Chris the photo. Stuntman Stu posted it on his Twitter. Huh. Yeah, so if that happens, I mean, I get it. But uh, you know, so they did like they did like an outline and then filled it in with color. Yeah, it was actually it, pretty nice. It's artwork. like block Not gonna letters. Lie. Not <laughs> it was like, hey, look at this neon. It was great. I'm gonna retweet that from our Daddy Issues podcast so you can hear it or look at. Oh, adult film star Jessica James passed away at the age of 43. Jessica James. Jessica James. Uh you see a photo of her, you're like, yeah, I've totally done it to her before. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, no, and uh, sorry, mom. <laughs> tweet that one out too. Um, nope, nope. I have to go to my actual like Twitter, our Twitter account, out of my Twitter account. Sorry. So yeah, it was after that she got most of her money and like I came back from all that and then I went and picked her up and she was like, I got all this money back and had all these victories and then I just felt like a complete dipshit and we took a bunch of weeks off. We took a week off from working and said we'd be coming back and we took this windfall of cash and we went to Vancouver and this is probably right around my 10th year high school anniversary, graduation anniversary. And we went to Vancouver and uh, picked up an ounce of crystal meth. Oh, shit. With two uh, with another couple who was like also our dealers. And it was just a weekend from hell. 
where I rented the van and we ended up having to wait for freaking our meth dealer, degenerate gambler. He was trying to gamble his way into. Well, he the was casino. a meth dealer, so. but also no, he was a gambler first, hundred percent. He was more addicted to the slots and the lure of money than he was to like just being a dealer. You know what I mean? So, and I was fun. I, <laughs> Shannon, and myself were funding this whole. Let's go down to. Vancouver and pick up an ounce of meth and bring it back and flip it for a profit because there is a shortage of meth in Alberta. Did that ounce of meth make it back to Alberta? Yes, it did. Okay. Yes, it did. And uh, the half of or like how much does an how much does an ounce of meth go for? Because like I know an ounce of weed goes for between about a hundred bucks, right? We kind of probably got jacked up on the price, and I'm sure there was an overhead, but I'm pretty sure an ounce of meth for that time went up. I think we paid $5,000 for it. $5,000 for an ounce of meth. How much does a gram of meth cost? I can't imagine. Well, at that grams. time, everything was exasperated because there was a shortage of it. So a gram of meth was doing 100 bucks. But like in Vancouver, a gram of meth wouldn't be doing 100 yeah, bucks I, because I, I lived in Vancouver back in 2005. Well, I lived the whole trip in cost us $5,000. The meth, the ounce of meth itself cost us 2800 bucks. The car rentals, the hotel, because that's a hundred dollars a gram, yeah. and that feels well. That off was the thing. Me. No, no, no. That's street at a hundred bucks a gram, right? So, but, like, so when I lived in Vancouver, I lived in a slum hotel at the corner of Payne and Hastings, okay. Payne and Hastings, called the Balmoral Hotel. Oh, yeah. You just need to like people Google the Balmoral Hotel, Vancouver. There are there are articles about how this is the worst single room occupancy hotel in the entire like country of Canada. Wow. Bed bugs, cockroaches, mice, scabies. We had one we had one shower for eight floors. Christ almighty. We had a bathtub at the end of every hall. At the end of our hall, a guy brewed meth in the bathtub. <laughs> like that was my introduction to meth is we just had fucking smoke fumes coming oh, down the hallway Christ. on a daily basis. I didn't know that I had like any sort of addiction to amphetamines until I left Vancouver. I came home and I'm I'm going through withdrawal symptoms where like time I would lose time. Oh, I would go into a shower at, at like eight in the morning, knowing I had a class at ten thirty a.m. Yeah. And the next thing I know is I'm waking up in the tub and it's like two p.m. Wild. That's wild. That's... And that was like my first month of university. Yeah. Fuck. That's super fucked. So we did this trip. Cost us a lot of money. I didn't sleep the whole fucking trip. We fought to get onto it. Uh literally physically came to blows where I pushed I didn't hit her but I put my hand in her face and pushed her away from me okay and that was like that was the end that was the end no that wasn't the end because she was like oh whatever we drove back to Alberta and I had been I call it my Le Mans because I think it was up for like almost 48 hours and I didn't like and I I drove almost the whole thing Mm -hmm. and as soon as we pulled in at Edson I was just being really openly avert like nice to the other girl who was in the car and not not to Shannon and not to Shannon I was being just degenerately bad human being Mm -hmm. and then she's all like yeah bring up brought everything up in front of these two which is super weird and awkward and then when I was inside getting donuts and coffee reflecting on like how stupid I was being they were like, we'll support you get rid of this piece of shit blah 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 about you yeah about me Which, which you know I get it they're trying to you know, woo the golden duck away. But at the same time, you did introduce drugs to her. You you I had hit her. 
Yeah. Like, like, let's not, let's not, let's, let's not, not sugarcoat. Let's not sugarcoat. You had, you had physically assaulted her. You brought drugs into her life, not just drugs, but like hardcore drugs into her life. You, you enabled her sex work, which is, I would argue, is not the worst of things to do. But you know, at the it same was time, pimping light. It was know. pimping light. It was. It, I think you're right. It was pimping light. Pimping light. You were making money off of her sex work, and you were not the one that was being put in the vulnerable situation that she was. No. So let's let's make this clear. You were kind of being, if we're going to say the C word in this episode, you were kind of being a cunt. Oh, 100%. Yeah. No depth, no warmth. <laughs> so, so the opposite of the C word yeah. is what you were <laughs> what being. I was being. I was being a super huge dick. Uh, I was, yeah, it was... I was being cold and stiff and just horrible. So, yeah, like, I get why they were moving away. And then we came back and dropped them off. And they had made agreements with Shen to pay the money back because it was all her money back that she boosted to this guy. And I'm not sure. If, I'm sure he got – she got paid back eventually, but who knows. Anyway, when we got back, I was needed to sleep and talk about it. And I think I ended up getting, like, maybe eight hours of sleep, you know, and then – then talk about everything that happened, and, and and then through that conversation, even like just the whole con- the, the whole you talk about the day before when when the day before was seventy two hours, you have to talk about that day before, and then the light sleep we had before that, the light which sleep was like had, a month before. No, which was like again like the light sleep. I mean, like seven or eight hours, the seventy eight hour sleep where we decided to wake up and go and drive to Vancouver. The day, that day yeah. was when I did all that, and she fought for the money. Okay, right. So, so when did you leave? What her? was what was the well, no, what was the catalyst leaving her and stopping drugs? Because they were around the same time, right? No, well, I le- she left and found another guy. She found a guy that was like I said, if you ever break up or if everything happened, don't talk to this guy. And she went right to that guy, right, just to be like, yeah. F you, right? And then I stayed in the apartment by myself for a while. And then my brother, Carl, came and got me. He's like, you're not doing any good here. Come back to this house. Left. Uh, it was a year after that date that I was like, I had stopped using for a good three and a half months. And this was with Carl? With Carl. Okay. And then I had like, oh, no, I can bring it back lately because of the ghosts of where I was. was yeah, like, yeah. So can, you were like, I can use this. I can, I can use, use this again. Because, be- yeah, because yeah. before Shannon, I was using it and I was yeah. living here and doing this. And then that was the, sl- the slope there. And then it was almost a year after that that I was like, yeah, no, I have to call the ball. It's never going to be what I had. Okay. Was there was there like a catalyst to that? And I, I'm, I'm only saying this because we're at the hour mark, and I need us to get into like yeah, you getting to recovery, getting recovery and how that's impacted yeah, your family. Yeah, parents, no, for right? sure. Uh, the catalyst that really set it for me is like uh, I took a vacation that was like I need to get away from Edmonton, just whatever it was. My sister Brianne had come down in February of that year to started, Ottawa to, to Edmonton, Edmonton from from Ottawa. She came down and had been like, yeah, okay, let's. She's working with us, and then she's like, well, we need to take a vacation back home. I need to see the parents, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I've never been to Ontario, and I've been working so hard for my brother for, like, literally no pay. Uh, But this trip, so we took this trip out east, and the time away and the different feel that I got from Ottawa, I was like, if there was any place I could make a break for something, I could do it here. Mm -hmm. And when we returned from that trip... And I just had felt all those past washes of emotions okay. of Edmonton, of, of everything that was here. I was like, I 
enjoyed not feeling these things for like 14 days, I don't want to feel these things anymore. Okay. And it was like, let's go. And, and then I made it my uh, objective to buy a plane ticket, and I set a date, and that was it. So you, you bought a plane ticket, you set a date, you moved to Ontario. Did you move in with your sister? No. My sister remained in Alberta with a significant other who she had met through kind of the meth circuit. And that was Is your of, sister using too? She was. She was at the time. Yeah, she was. But your sister was also kind of like the motivation for you to get out of it. Yeah, no, well, no, I wouldn't necessarily my sister to leave. She would just, she was just there to like, I guess that would be, I guess, sure. Okay. But like, I'd like to think my motivations came from myself. She so kind of opened the door. She and opened said the there door. Was a, there was a way we could go. You know what I mean? We so you, get out and of you here. took that, you took that and you ran with it. Yeah. Um, so you moved to Ottawa. Yeah. You, what, what happened there? September 26, 2009. Yeah. Uh, did you smoke like meth before you got on the plane? The day before, not the day the before. Day of. Yeah, so I was still feeling it when I was on the plane ride. So, okay. and honestly, like I'd been using interactively before then. I just say I know for a fact, twenty sixth of September is the date because I know I didn't consume meth on that day. Okay. Yeah. And so that's the first day that you have recollection of not consuming meth. That's right. You landed in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Where did you go? What did you do? My dad picked me up. Your dad's um, Ottawa-based? Yeah. No, he was Edmonton-based, but his uh, second wife uh, was from Ottawa, and after uh, his own dealings with his own personal business, moved out to Ottawa in 98. Uh, so okay. He, he'd been out here with my two sisters and my brother since then. And, and when when did your dad pass away? Uh, 2012. 2012. So you'd uh, been here for about four years? Three. Three years when your dad passed away. You'd had three years to really kind of reconnect with him. And, and thank God for that. Because when you heard that he passed away, you kicked your fridge. Oh, man. I soccer balled my fridge so hard. I, I'm sure I was a rental, too. I feel bad about it. Although it's not the first time I had ever soccer balled a rental fridge. <laughs> but Meth is a crazy drug. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah, so when I initially come down, we stayed here, and he's like, when I got back home, I was like, yeah, I think I, I don't think I want to be around here anymore. Do you have room for me? He's like, of course, there's always going to be room for you here. And I will make it happen if you need a break. I want to be a part of that. And that, I was like, okay, I got my flight and everything. And I literally left Alberta with uh, one suitcase full of clothes, uh, my, tool, my other suitcase full of tools, uh, my cats, and... That was about it. And you're allergic to cats. Well, I, I, was, I wasn't allergic to cats because I got them so young that I was actually imprinted on their dander type. Okay. Like, I grew with them. Now okay. that they're a bit older and one's outside all the time and, like, constantly mm-hmm. his dander is changing, yeah. I'm not good with. So, so kind of speaking about the story, the story is very reminiscent of something that happened to me when I was living in Ottawa. Right. And I just want to bring this up. Because when I was living in Vancouver... Uh, at the Bible college I was going to, they wanted us to live incarnationally, which is why I was living in a slum hotel, because that idea is you're living with the people you're working with. And so we started working with this one guy who was a Benedictine monk who was also a professional chef, and then he had ended up with an opioid addiction oh, and ended up on the streets. So he, he ended up still being a Benedictine monk through there. He was also very openly gay, but at this time, like... Because I was with a right-wing evangelical church, like, you know, that was like the pray the gay away shit, oh, right? Fuck. 
that that'll come up in just a second. Just because my thing is when I left, I told this guy, I was like, look, I know you're in a really shitty situation. This is not a situation that you want to be in. You ever end up in Ottawa, you give me a call and I will do my best to support you. Right. Right. He gives me a call January 6, 2007. I had just gotten back to Ottawa from going to see my family in London for Christmas, getting ready to go back to university, and I get a phone call. He's like, hey, man, you remember when you said if I ever came to Ottawa that there would be a place for me here? He's like, is that still true? I was like, absolutely, man, thinking, I'm like, there's no way this guy's going to show up. He's like, I just landed at the Ottawa airport. I need to sober up. shit. I'm on a fucking (laughs) Greyhound. I'm on a Greyhound at, like, um... Like, what would be the turnoff to Peterborough? Oh, wow. So, I'm like, all right, man, I will be in Ottawa in, like, four hours. I need you to meet me at, and I told him where to meet me. Uh, and so, I get to this place. <laughs> He's there. A bunch of people that I'm in class in university happen to be there. They're like, hey, how are you? And there's this guy who's definitely a meth addict who's sitting across from me wow. kind of tweaking because like this, this is his first 24 down, hours yeah, clean, yeah, yeah. right? He comes and he moves in with me. I'm in a one-bedroom apartment and he lives with me for three years. Or three months, three months, three months. Fuck, right. Three months. Three months. Because I just started to date who's now my ex-wife at this right, time. Right, right, right. And so like, you know, we got him hooked up with the job at McDonald's. We got him hooked up with a job at Tim Hortons. He, I got him hooked up with a job doing food services for the Salvation Army. And then he stepped out of a truck and shattered his ankle. Jesus. So he ended up being with me for so long. And a big part of that was I need to get away from these drugs. So when he was living with me, the only thing that I let him smoke was cigarettes. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I was like, I, we didn't even allow alcohol in the house. He brought two bottles of wine for me as like a thank you gift, and they sat unopened until he moved out. Nice. And, and that was just one of those things where like this was someone who was like reaching out for help and just like trying to get in, and then they slept on my couch for three months. Wow. How's he doing now? Do you know? You know what? He moved back to Vancouver. Uh, and the big what when I said that he's flamboyantly gay, a big part was when he came. He's like, he's like, I need to avoid the gay district. So I told him, I was like, well, that's like Bank Street, and and then he kind of resents me for saying that to him. So he when he moved back to Vancouver, because what he did is he ended up getting his own apartment in uh, the same building that I was in. He even asked me to co-sign on his lease. And I was like, he's doing really well. It's been three months. He's sober and all this shit. Yeah. He lived there for a month and a half, and then he fucking just left. He just went back to Vancouver. And he started using again. He got involved in what he calls a slave relationship, where he signed a slave contract to another couple. Um Amanda and I, because Amanda, my ex-wife, because he was he was living with me for the first three months of us dating, Amanda knew him, so we went out to Vancouver the next summer, and we went and saw him, and he took us out to, like, he took me, Amanda, and her father, and this was the, this was the summer before I proposed to Amanda, right? right? Like, I was going to, to Vancouver to ask her father's permission to marry her, and he took us out to this this beautiful cafe. It was a beautiful cafe um, on Davy Street, which is the gay district. I know where that is. Davy. It was fantastic. It was the best food I've ever eaten. But it was a drag restaurant, and my my then father, well, what became my father-in-law, was like, well, this is interesting. (laughs) And he came over, and he sat down, and then he explained his slave relationship to my future father-in-law. And I was like, oh, my God. Um... 
That was my experience. So, like, I'm glad that you had a better experience with your dad than he had with me. Yeah, no, <laughs> Long story short, that took me, like, five minutes. I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, the... Yeah, my first uh, 48 hours in Ottawa were weird. Um, <clears throat> actually, my first week, I think I slept like 20 hours a week. Okay. 20 hours a day. 20 I, hours a day. I was I was like up for four hours. Well, you've been awake for four months. No, I didn't even go that way. I just, as soon as the adrenaline dropped off and you're not producing your own adrenaline. You're just going to sleep. You're just going to sleep. And <clears throat> it wasn't until... Oh, I'd say about the 5th or 6th of October, maybe a week and a half later, that my dad's like, yo, we need to start renovating this bathroom, uh, you know, frame it all out. And he's like, I've already done the, like, he basically did the underground, and then he was like, do the finishes for me. And I had all my tools with me. So that bathroom and me kind of rebuilt ourselves together. Okay. Yeah. We, uh, I poured my, my recovery into that bathroom. Okay. So. So you, you, you took Ottawa as a serious chance to get clean. Yeah. Were there ever any temptations to go back to Edmonton? Other thoughts to go back to Edmonton, but temptations to go back? No. Okay. There was nobody saying, come back, come back. No, no, this was. But a temptation could be a thought. Oh yeah. There was lots of those temptations, but like, you know, like in the first month or so. For sure. Not in the first couple of weeks, but in the first month, it was like, oh, I'm feeling better. You know, this is it's fine. I think I can go back. If you went you know back to I mean? Edmonton, would you still be using? Yeah, had I gone back. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you go back to Edmonton. You've done shows in Alberta. Yeah, I've done shows uh, at Yucks, uh, Fort Road, and, and a bunch of stuff in the mall. And you know, like, a bunch of Edmonton comedians like Adam Blank and Sterling, Bla- uh, Sterling Scott, Scott yeah, and yeah. Um, all... I know Kathleen McGee's now Kathleen. in Edmonton. Yeah, I know Kathleen's Edmonton, back in Edmonton. Right? Yeah, she's from Edmonton. She's back in so Edmonton. So, like, you, you, ha- you have some of these connections to Edmonton. Yeah, absolutely. How do you handle that when you go back? Um, it's weird coming back with the, the, the pangs of the history. I'm glad the place has changed so much because the, that imprint is still there. And I, it's like an X. When you go back to, you know, you see an X, you're like, oh, look. You're you. You're reminded of the good times and not the bad times. Yeah, and then, oh, you've changed a bit, but I'm like, oh, those bad times still make me feel this way, so I can't do it. You know okay. What I mean? So that's that's how that one goes. Did you go back to Edmonton before you met Amanda? No. No? So Amanda's your current wife. Yep. Current wife, hopefully, <laughs> for the rest of your life. <laughs> Amanda. Amanda's uh, number one forever. Yeah. Amanda's your wife. Yeah. Um... It's got to take a lot for someone because, like, I, I having this conversation. It's got to take a lot for someone to be able to accept your past. Yeah, right. It, it's got to take. Like, I'm not just saying that as like a friend because, like, as a friend, like, I've had no problem accepting you and then hearing about your no, past. But somebody intimately, but someone who's going to intimately want to raise a family with you and know everything about your history, right? Yeah, as well as when you're even dating, know about. So who I was dating previously. So how did you how did you handle the next relation the next big relationship you were in after Shannon? Because you have not been in the same situation with Amanda that you were ever in with Shannon. No, never. No, um, no. It was small moves. Uh, in my first three months in Ottawa, we technically didn't date. We just kind of saw each other. How did you meet her? Uh, through my sister Brienne. Okay. Yeah, during that time. So she knew Brienne. 
Yeah, they work together at Quiznos in Ottawa. Quiznos gives me diarrhea. Oh, it's the only subplace that gives me like massive diarrhea. If I go to Quiznos tonight, I will be shitting liquid rain, like chocolate rain, within forty-five minutes. Yeah, it's hot. You know what? I just need our listeners to know how my stomach works. (laughs) Poorly. Anyway. (laughs) That was a bourbon laugh. I'm sorry. It's been an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, it's all right. Um, They they knew each other from uh, working together. Okay. Yeah. We say we met through Brie Harmony. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's uh, that's that. And then we were kind of sort of seeing each other from when I got here. And then... uh, New Year's Eve uh, 09, we kind of like, do we want to start dating officially? And we're like, yeah, we'll start dating officially. Okay. So I had three months of just kind of like on my own. And you had those three months to get sober. Yeah. And to focus on yourself. Because we always say that when you're in recovery, you shouldn't be focusing on anyone other than yourself. That was it. Yeah. So like you had three months to really focus on yourself. Uh, your relationship changed because I've seen the way that you and Amanda interact. Yeah. I've never seen you and Shannon interact, but, like, I've seen the way that you and Amanda interact. And that's got the groundings for, like, a Perm- lifelong yeah, relationship. Permanence, yeah, for sure. How has all of this I, – I don't want to necessarily call it bullshit, but it's a lot of bullshit. How has all of this stuff kind of, like, impacted your ability to be a dad? Uh, overall, it's given me patience and understanding. Okay. I think uh, I've made a piece of me in small form with all those shortcomings with it. Okay. And all the greatness within it. Everything that is within it. So uh, how it's made me better, for sure, I think. How are you going to talk about drugs with your kids? With honesty. With almost the same conversation that we're having right now. Okay. Like, maybe they can hear this conversation right now. And well, you know, your kids are six and four, right? I know, but maybe they... <laughs> who knows, man? Fucking not like... I don't mean right now, but maybe they can hear this they conversation. They can hear it in the future. And yeah. Because the thing is, like, there's going to be a day when... Because like, your son is six. Mm-hmm. Your, your daughter is four, right? Three. Three, sorry, three. Yeah, no, f- four. She's four. turning four. Yeah. Um... And there's going to be a day, because, like, I know, having worked in the high schools before, that, like, a lot of these substances get introduced and talked about by the age of 12. Yeah. There are some people that are not of the legal age to be out of booster seats by the time that we're talking about (laughs) drugs, right, in schools and about how to use them safely. So, like, are you going to, are you going to tell your kids they can't use drugs? Well, how are you going to have this conversation? I think I'm going to have the same conversation and the same style of conversation that I had with my younger brother Jeremy. Because young my my younger brother Jeremy was my roommate. Is Jeremy my recovery. the one that I bought weed off of? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Sorry Jeremy. But Jeremy listened. I never told Jeremy not to do anything. Okay. I I simply told him do here's what this will do. <laughs> you can go ahead and try that if you like. I'm not saying don't, but here's what's going to happen. And like it's entirely up to you. That that's, so I before I before I left working as like because I was an addictions counselor for an agency, right? Yeah. Now I'm a therapist and I I work with individuals for a lot of different reasons. But 
when I was working as an addiction counselor, I was working mostly with teenagers, and I, I created a curriculum for grade seven and eights in Ottawa. And that curriculum was about like the stages of change, the stages of use, what substance abuse looks like, and the difference between what is substance use versus substance abuse, abuse yeah. right? Because the idea is not to demonize the use. If we demonize the use, and I say this from the church aspect where we were told you're not allowed to drink you're not allowed to smoke you're not allowed to do drugs you're not allowed to have sex and here's the thing is i was the most repressed around drinking and drugs and smoking and sex and to the point where suddenly when it's like presented to me i don't know how to handle it right yeah. so like when i first started drinking i was going overboard and i was getting drunk every time i drank when i started smoking weed it was like holy fuck this takes me to another element when i started having sex it was like fucking a right like yeah. it was like all these secrets have been unlocked to me and i'd wish that someone had taught me about moderation because yeah. going into that and when i talk to kate kate's got a completely different upbringing yeah. so when we go out for family events i might drink a little bit more than her father her brother and she kind of like justifies it as well he didn't really have this growing up. He doesn't really have that perspective of like what's acceptable and unacceptable. I'm like, if I'm being unacceptable, tell me I'm being unacceptable. Tell me to slow my roll. But at the same time, like, you know, I think that's an important thing is to have that conversation where we're not condemning the user, yeah. but we're condemning the overuse and condemning might even be a harsh word where we're saying the overuse is going to lead to, Problems. X, X plus Y is equal to Z. You know yeah. what I mean? And do you want Z? I'm, I, so I met one of my neighbors. I'm not going to say his name. I met my neighbor the other day who used to be a former CFL player. Oh, cool. Not not Mark Hatfield. Ah. I'll say Mark Hatfield because he's a comedian. He talks about this bullshit. Um, he, he used to be – he used to play for Hamilton. And then he went and came and played for the Ottawa Rough Riders and played a year for the Ottawa Renegades. And he had to quit due to – Due to concussions. concussions. Yeah. Yeah. And so we spent some time like talking about concussions and he had mentioned how he got addicted to oxys. Oh, no shit. And he's like, he's like, I actually sit on a CFL board, advisory board, who's trying to push more THC and CBD into their oils and into their pills rather than the fucking Oxycontin and the fentanyl that they're trying to prescribe for concussions when I was in, like, when I was working. He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I had to quit because I was addicted to fentanyl. And he's like, he's like, and now I'm like, I take a THC pill, like I take a CBD pill at dinner, I take a THC pill in the evening. Yeah. Because he, he, he smelled me smoking a joint. And so he comes over, he's like, hey, what's that? I was like, this blueberry, you want to hit? He's like, no, no, I don't smoke it, I only take pills. And we got into this conversation, right? No, no, no. Opens the door. And, and I'm like, like, we're talking about a drug that is benefiting a lot of people and helping people deal with addiction from other drugs. Yeah. So, like, when it comes to something like marijuana, like, I know with Maddie, I'm not going to be punitive, but I'm going to tell her how it impacts a developing brain, how it impacts 100%. a developing body. In the same way that when I talked to grade seven and eights, it wasn't like, don't ever do this, but it was like a, hey, this is what addiction looks like. Yeah. This is what use looks like. Here's how use impacts a 12-year-old brain, or here's how use impacts a 13-year-old brain. You use when you feel it's appropriate, but just know, right? And so we shape the conversation to be around what does it actually do to you, Yeah. right? Let's see what's through this door. You know I mean? let's, 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 make, let's make a deal with Wayne Brady. <laughs> you are dressed like a meth addict. <laughs> now, do you want to choose door A, B, or C? Door A is meth addiction. 
door B is, you know what, some some weed consumption to help bite the edge. Yeah. And door C is a, a grand trip to Maui, but you're going to sell that for, for crack. Yeah. If <laughs> you left meth alone. Yeah, no, sir. No, no it's... Your, your kids are going to know that you were an addict. 100%. Or are an addict. Like, let's not... No, I'm recovered. Fuck you're, that. You're a recovered... recovered addict. All right. I'm a recovered addict. You want to know why I'm a recovered addict? And here's my own definition for it, because I'm tired of the people... How do, how do I cross the finish line or I feel like I've achieved anything? I feel like I'm a recovered addict because I've now spent more time clean than I ever did use in the first place. Fucking A! So That was a high five. Yeah, that was a high five. That's it. You want to get your definition? Don't feel like it, it can't... It is it's a lifelong uh, engagement in recovery, but it is not a lifelong battle. The way that I talk about it with my clients, and this has been, I've been talking about this like this with my clients since I started working as an addiction therapist, even to now, where I'm not even necessarily working mostly as an addiction therapist, my whole conversation is, when you run a marathon, if you run a marathon, and let's say you fall down at the 30 kilometer mark, do you go back to the beginning and start that marathon again? No. No. You fucking pick yourself up, you finish that marathon, and then, hey, I completed a marathon and I fell once. And you might shit your or, pants on mile 40. And you, <laughs> that's that's the truth. That's and that. we know this because once when I was drunk at Freddie Jones's house, <laughs> we, we drunk called Jenny B. Wall. Do you remember Jenny B. Wall? I know Jenny she, B. Wall. She's, she's, now she's a, a great lady. She's I love Jenny. Toronto. She's so, so funny. funny. She moved to Toronto. She's marrying Adrian Kronk. They're both very both funny comedians. And they're great people. And she runs marathons. And so I was, I was at like this house with <laughs> Freddie Jones fell asleep, <laughs> but it was like Johnny Novak, okay, uh, Greg Stringer, <laughs> myself, Nick Perron. I don't even know who else. There was other people there, and we called Jenny Bewald at like two a.m. and because she runs marathons, and we're like. When people run marathons, do they shit their pants? <laughs> that was the only question we had for her. Okay, and nice, she said sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. It happens. Sometimes. Yeah. The um, but the thing is, like, you don't go back to the beginning. You end the marathon and you say, yeah, I ran 42 kilometers and I fell twice. Yeah. Because, you know what, you still fucking completed a marathon. That's exactly it. Right? So when I talk to people who are going through drug addiction issues or substance abuse disorders and I'm like, hey... When you relapse, you say the word relapse and you go back to day one. That's not very motivating, is it? No. No, because like you've just done 150 days and now you've got to go back to day one. No, today is day 151. Yeah. And you've slipped up once. You've fallen once. Yeah. You get to, you get to 350 days. You've done 350 days and you've fallen once. And then if you want to redo it and say, I've done 200 days where I haven't fallen. Yeah. You can fucking do that. But if you've slipped, don't say you relapsed. Because no. it's all psychological. Exactly. That statement is defeatist and it's meant to drive uh, inspiration through shame. And you'll never get inspiration through shame. Yeah. Now, this, this Minnesota is now longer than some of our full-length episodes. <laughs> Which, uh, so we have to end this soon. But I really want last words to go to Chris. Chris, you are... A recovered drug addict. You are a father of two. You are a husband to an amazing spouse. You are an ex to a sex worker who has had their ups and downs. Uh, you are a brother to brothers and sisters who have also had uh, uh, substance abuse issues. Our our listeners are not likely in the same situation you have been. No. All right. Definitely. Our listeners are probably people that their amount of drug use is can confined to drinking alcohol, maybe smoking a bit of weed or nicotine. How do we justify this use and how do we talk about it with our kids? 
I can't really ever justify the use, but you can talk about with your kids just as easily as just informing them about everything. Um, to really justify the use is to like kind of understand why you were there in the first place. Okay, so we're not justifying the use at all, no. but we're 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 sharing life stories. Yeah. We're sharing, and we're being open about it, right? That's, that's it. Like if your kid is is old enough to be able to experience Star Wars Episode One, Two, and Three. Then you should be having these conversations immediately. You should have had these already, but like, uh, and if you didn't have a basis to have these conversations with, just just inform them. Here's the thing: if you are struggling on having these conversations with your kids, reach out to us. That's it. We're not gonna we're not gonna fucking like tell you how to do it. We're not gonna fucking we're not gonna say like put your kid on Skype and let's talk to him. Yeah. Let let's have a conversation, right? Because like this is a conversation that we can't. Close. This is not a close-ended conversation. Substance use is still a part of our lives. Yeah. Substance abuse is still a part of our lives because there's times where I've seen you drunk and there's times that you've seen me drunk. 100%. Right? Yeah. And, and we have kids. And this is still going to happen. And we, we're going to have these conversations around how do we talk to our kids about this. You know who I'd love to have on this podcast someday? Oh, yeah. Gabber Mate. Gabber Mate. He's a doctor out in Vancouver in the downtown east side. Oh. He, he's worked a lot with the homeless and the drug, uh, like those that like are addicted to substances. Yeah. Um, he's worked a lot with sex workers there. Uh, in the realm of Hungry Ghosts. Okay. Is one of the best reads you can have about substance use in Canada. Cool. Ghosts because it's scary cold in Canada. It's not about that though. <laughs> no, no, I get that. But at the same time, like you know, like let's have these conversations. So we don't we don't have the we don't have the answers, but we have the experience between the two of us being a former drug addict and being a kind of a current slash former addiction therapist. If you have questions or concerns, please reach out to us. Like let's talk about it on air. Yeah, man, bring it on out. Bring it on out. Email us at wegotdaddyissues at gmail.com. Uh, like us on Facebook at uh, Daddy Issues with Champ in Kingsbury. You can always contact us on Instagram at We Got Daddy Issues, and uh, of course Facebook, or Twitter, sorry, Twitter, <laughs> the one I'm never on uh, at uh, Daddy. No, no, get it's... it right. You're always the one that fucks this one up. You're right. At We Got Dad Issues. We Got Daddy. Because normally it's We Got Daddy Issues, but they had a. Two character cat that we were un we were over so we got dad issues like we got dad let issues. us know let us know how you talk to your kids about substances because everybody has a different route like yeah. my parents for me are they're zero yeah I w- I was raised in a family where you did not drink you did not use drugs my parents come up we put the booze away my marijuana goes up onto a shelf it it stays away because I was raised the way that, that alcohol, they don't want to see it. Yeah. They don't want to see it. They want to know about it. They think that it is wrong. Um, I have a lot of church friends who believe that it's wrong. I personally believe that everything is okay in moderation, but you have to know where moderation li- l- kind of lies for you. Yeah, know thyself. Know thyself. For you, you know where your moderation lies. You are you you are a former addict. Yeah. You are a current substance user. Yep. But most of us are. Yeah, oh, 100%. So let us know. Let us know your stories. Fill us in on your details. If you want us to kind of like talk about your situation on air, we don't need to tell, tell us about you. tell us about that too. Let us yeah, know. but we don't need to share your information, right? Like you can it send can us be an email, anonymous, uh, and we can just say we had a dad or a mom in this situation. Uh, you know, 
from our two perspectives, this is what we see. Uh, we would encourage you that if you are in need of assistance, if you are in need of assistance, please reach out. The, reach out to your community health centers. Reach out to your family doctors. Reach out to, like, just Google drug addiction and the city you live in. In Ottawa, we have Wood Addiction and Family Services. Yep. Where I used to work, we have Serenity Fam a Renewal for Families. We've had the Dave Smith Center. All uh, really great places, man. All Check great places. Out. We got Maison Fraternité. Yep. Um, you know, we also have a lot of great private practice counselors. Reach out, man. Um, and you know, a lot of times private practice counselors, myself being one, we will work within your budget. If you come to us and say, I can't afford your $130 an hour, you know, you tell us what you can afford and we normally work within it. Well, to a point. <laughs> Set a limit, play within it. To a point. Set a limit, play within it. I have a point. I have a, I have a point limit. Yeah, yeah. Where like if, well, if it's, same with me with contracting, I don't get out of the bed. And for for me, it goes like if you're if you can't afford this, you're going to you're going to most benefit from Rita Wood or, or from Dave else. Smith yeah. or yeah. from a community health center. Um, be, also, especially shout out if you're having addictions things. But I'd just like to touch back on the on the sex worker thing, and uh, uh, there needs to be a lot of work done in Canada about that, and. Uh, let us all work together on opening that conversation. As yeah, well. and I, I really feel like our election in October is going to have a, a big say in what that looks like. Yeah. Here's the thing: is like treat human lives over the value of cents and dollars. We're not ever going to tell you who to vote for, but just do. But that. you have to remember that that there's one side that will argue to put more money in your pocket at the cost of human lives. So. And I look at this and go, I can afford to be taxed a little bit higher to make sure that everybody has what they need. And I feel like that's our, our civic duty as humans to make sure that other humans are not, are not faltering. I think that's part of the reason why we started this podcast too, is because I didn't know how to be a dad and there are other people out there that are, that don't know how to be a dad. You know who we need to have on this podcast? Who's that? Al Babcock. Yeah, for sure. He's having a kid now. Yeah, man. We'll talk, so, about later. we'll talk to him later. Thank you so much for listening. Guys, uh, like you have been fantastic. Like us, love us, share us, rate us. Um, do what you need Message to do. Us. Please let us know your stories. We want to know your stories. I hope that you have laughed your asses off this episode because I have laughed my ass off so much to the point where I need a new ass. That's a weird ass. Laters. <laughs>